I'm not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we just want to start calling you Damien Yeltsin's cool boards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone, yeah, I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, he was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up to wipe their butts. Some people stay seated to wipe their butts. Like it just. where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher here in Northern California and uh, the father of a little boy who is going to uh, not know what to do with himself tomorrow because I'm taking him to a local spot called Fairy Tale Town. Oh, yeah. Damien is familiar with it. And they have a, uh, a display tomorrow of dinosaurs uh-huh. and he will probably know the names of every one of them far better than I will. Yep. Um, it, I, I need to reiterate again uh, that, that he's three years old mm-hmm. and he can say Pachycephalosaurus better than his mother can. <laughs> um, there are any number of other words he has trouble with, but he can do Pachycephalosaurus and a number of others. Uh, um, yeah, I, I it'd take me too long to remember him off the top of my head right now. But yeah, no, he's he's a budding uh, uh, dinosaur scientist, paleontologist. paleontologist. Thank you. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm very excited. There. What do you got going on? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, let's see. What could I tell you? My kids both know how to cook, according to Marvel and Dungeons and Dragons, which is just so amazingly oh, so fucking delicious. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had hamburgers last week because he wanted oh, nice. to use okay. Wookie Cookie. Okay. Uh, I think we're taking a hiatus, so it's just gonna be dad cooking this week, which is okay. fine. But they're both gonna get back into it, uh, and I'm gonna make them start doing breakfasts in the summer. Um, okay. Because I I will give them skills, and we will yeah. have fun getting those skills. Okay. And and they're I gaining like competence. You should. You've seen the pictures of my daughter yeah. stirring at a stove that's like taller than, oh, not taller than she is, but like, but no eight year old should seem that competent. Yeah. In not the nineteen thirties. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, I love it. My kids. Uh, it's 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 so fun. It's really cool to see them enjoying that. So well, good. Hey, so last time we talked about Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> and really what uh, we were talking about was hitting people with kayaks. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So so I I have to ask about sure. that. Did the kayak actually get picked up? I don't recall. I I did not chase down the kayak aspect of that story. Okay. I just found a list of things that they brought. A kayak. A kayak. Like. Celine Dion did say to take a kayak and go to those walls. Now, she was talking about Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, these people predated her yeah, by, by a, a number, decade. Yeah. You know. I I got to 
Yeah, I see. Okay, as as somebody who who spends a little bit of my hobby time, you know, swinging Kayaks. an actual weapon around. Oh, oh, yes. Um, I kind of wonder about, like, I get into the technical aspects of like, okay, so imagine that I'm a six foot, I don't know what, very athletic, sure, very muscular, very strong dude. I don't have to imagine it. I'm looking at it. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So we're moving on. Um, saying, but, but picking ladies. up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so is that Northern California's ass? Is that what you're saying yeah. here? Okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. So, so, <laughs> but like, where is the balance point on a kayak as a weapon? Like where, it's gotta be where, where, where is the, where's the, where's yeah. the striking point going to be? What, Obviously how's your center bow. of gravity going to, you're going to, you're well, going like, to hold it but, from the back end and you're going <clears> to lever it using the, the back the, part the of back the back part of the seat. Yeah. Like, yeah. And okay. Use all right. That way. Or okay. you can just ram it. Like a swinging battering ram. Okay, all right. Which, which is then, which is then essentially yeah. using the point. Or you set it up across the entryway and you run a man into it. Okay, yeah. You you treat it like yeah. you know a beam. Or or you yeah. you utilize or you use the like, or. Yes. like like there you go. Yeah. Batleth kind of kind of combat <laughs> techniques where you're where you're handling it from the center. I cannot swim with kinda, you. You are my sworn enemy. <laughs> you're my sworn. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you yeah. know, so <laughs> yeah, I'm still stuck on that. Sure. I'm, I'm also still horrified <laughs> at at like these are people who the crowd I'm talking right, about, like right. the wrestlers are performers, like mm-hmm. whatever they got to do to make a buck. OK, cool. But the crowd, the fact that the crowd is demanding the this crowd is demanding this. And yeah. these are people who go back to ordinary day to day jobs. Yes. Like anybody else in the United States, they would look like civilized people. Yes. On any other day of the month. But yes. then they go into this arena and they're they're a contained riot as uh-huh. we as we talk a scripted yes barely contained riot yes they don't deviate from the script but sometimes they perform way over the top <laughs> well it like, is wrestling yeah well, so, okay granted but so i'm going to pause the show shit. for just a second to okay. show you some of the violence okay okay so now that you've cleaned the throw up out of your mouth i have been harrowed <laughs> like so- <laughs> so we just watched Holy. about seven minutes of oh my god moments from yeah, ECW. Yeah. Um so okay. I, I take I take a few things away from that. Okay. Um first off first thing you would take first, away is first, that first, first you had no t- idea. Like none. <laughs> none. Like and 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 if you and I know that you're gonna tell me that, that Japanese deathmatch wrestling is even crazier than that. Um, yes, but it is very, very, uh, it's not every damn match. Okay. It's not every, you it's, know. It's, it's more traditional than that. Yeah. It's okay. cut the bread square kind of okay. thing. Uh, you will have a deathmatch tournament on occasion. Okay. It is a very specific thing. These things that I showed you were matches throughout the cards. Okay. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. I mean, you saw yeah, Sabu all jumping over. all over the place. Yeah. Landing all like, over the place. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Number one. Number two, how is it uh-huh. that within wrestling lore mm-hmm. now we don't have stories about guys dying in ECW? Because I'm I'm Nobody looking died in the ring. Okay, well I, I understand that, yeah. but like 
how did they with with the shit they were doing? Yes. I I am amazed like watching watching the number of times New Jack <laughs> in that series of clips which yes. was a highlight reel ladies and gentlemen yes. that not not an exhaustive cataloging. And we didn't even but, get to the weapons usage. You no, know, we, we didn't we didn't even get didn't to the bring the your own weapons grater. night. We didn't didn't see the cheese great. Cuz I know better. Oh. I knew to protect you. God. <laughs> or the kayak, yeah. which I I'm still I'm still I, yeah. morbidly curious about the kayak. Yeah. Now, now I know it's that. morbidly curious, yeah. but, <laughs> but like, cause I know if, if it actually got used, I, I know that I, I may regret seeing it, but I have to, um, but I find it amazing mm-hmm. that like the, the next point is related to this is I kept thinking about how absolutely incredibly athletic all of those guys were, even the yes. ones that were, fat there is an amazing amount of body strength involved in all of Mm -hmm. that and there's an amazing amount of like if you look really closely you can see they're always landing the same way on the table yes they're always you know making the hit on the same region of the body in the same kind of like when the guy jumps and you know He's jumping out of the ring to land on his opponent. It's like if you watch closely, you can tell. No, he's jumping out of the ring and being half caught by his opponent. Yeah, or a group of opponents. You know, or a yes. group of opponents. And and it's really clear that, no, no, this is, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, sparkly murder gymnastics. And uh-huh. there is there is choreography and there is an amazing amount of athleticism involved in that. But, like, shit goes wrong. Yeah. Like we know the stories about how you've told several, you've related several of the stories in other episodes about wrestling, about how men have, have died Mm -hmm. when shit has gone wrong. Yes. Like I know, and I don't remember whether I got it from you or another source, but the story of, you know, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin breaking his neck in the ring. Yeah. And having to maintain kayfabe, like, yes, yes. and and the miracle that's involved in him not, at the very least, being paralyzed from the chest down mm-hmm. because of that. Look at what these guys were oh, doing. Yeah. Like, how do we not have? And this is the paraplegic era of of <laughs> professional wrestling. You know, well, and there was a wrestler who was made a quadriplegic uh, a few years later from a botched spot of just a very simple power bomb. Now I say very simple power bomb. But, I mean, it really was like a freak accident that it happened. And it was nowhere near to the level of chaos that this like, was. Like, yeah, mur- literal murder gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Like, if something goes wrong, yeah. somebody's going to wind up, you know, taking a railing to the to the bridge of the nose. Yes. Or... or Caving in their whole head. Caving in their yeah. whole head. Or, you know, miss a catch and New Jack mm-hmm. is just going to splatter himself across the pavement from you know, 20 feet up oh, yeah. from the balcony. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a, and you didn't see this spot in that video, oh. but there was an incident where a, a wrestler fell through a series of tables and landed right next to the ropes. And he said, if I had been off by even a little bit, I wouldn't be here today. There are so many near death experiences that they then were just like, okay, I guess we've got this down and you keep going. Oh so, my God! You can yeah, get well, used to anything. By um, the way, Cactus Jack did use the two-man kayak at some okay. point, and he said that he felt 
obligated to use it because they had gone to such trouble to bring it. <laughs> it would be rude not to. That is the most. Yeah, Mick that Foley. is that is the most Mick Foley thing. Yeah. yeah. So and 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 that's all of what I just said. Yeah. About things going wrong. We don't have anybody like left wearing an eye patch forever. Nope. Because of the barbed wire. Right. Now I need to mention this to the audience because it, it took it took Damien aback. I gagged. Yes, he did. Watching watching the, the barbed wire stuff because just just having my, my mother grew up on a farm. Okay. Going back to visit my grandma, there was barbed wire every place. Oh. And and there was an occasion where as a small kid I sure. was trying to get through the lines of barbed wire right, getting right. through the like fence. You do. I got hung up on it. Mm-hmm. And of course, this was old barbed wire that had been there for forever. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, did you get scratched? Do we need to right. take it for tetanus a tetanus shot? shot? Sure. There was all that going on. But that experience has left me with a very healthy respect for barbed wire. For barbed wire ever since. And the thought of mm-hmm. like being wrapped up in it. No, no, wrapping yourself up with it. No, no, he no. wrapped himself well, yeah, up. Yeah, in yeah it. no, I, I understand that, oh, but then, okay. then, your physical, yeah, yeah, okay, I get you. And, your physical and, sense memory, and, and and oh my god, yes, Joey like Styles. fighting, <laughs> fighting, yeah, yeah. Well, what else can you say? Right. Really, yeah. so many times, the, the, literally, my gorge rose. I, yeah, I, it's true. I gagged I was like it was, and I, and I'm amazed that nobody lost an eye. Yeah. Nobody, like nobody was nobody. left with with you know a really wicked scar that they'd be able to use to get free beers forever. Oh no. Sabu is really wickedly scarred up. <laughs> he absolutely okay. is like okay. you look at his chest and it just, Oh my God. Okay. To quote Joey Styles. Yeah. So I have my own story about barbed oh. wire. Um, oh. and, uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, just, just so you know, here's, here's a picture of Sabu's chest. Um, now you can kind of see it. He's got scars everywhere. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. he really does. Okay, he yes. looks like he's been through it. Okay. Yeah, and he has. Uh, Sweet okay, Jesus. Okay, so I'm living on the family farm in uh, early 90s. I'm living in Florida with the family. Yeah. Uh, a chicken kept leading all the other chickens out. Okay. And leading an escape. It was the Steve McQueen <laughs> of chickens. And my dad, how many my brother chickens, and I, How many chickens are we talking about? We had a coop full. So okay. Dozen, okay. You know, right. uh, okay. So my dad uh, was chasing after this chicken at some point. I forget exactly what got him spurred on to go chase after the okay. chicken, no pun intended. But my brother and I were playing in the, uh, the yard right near the house. Okay. Right? And then a little further out, like across the yard, Pretty far yard. It's a big quarter acre yard. At okay. Least, maybe okay. half acre yard. Um, and uh, across from there's a chicken coop. So, um, and and I can't really give you a good visual of it, but just understand that there is a lot of open space, and then there is an area that we have penned off with uh with you know uh, barbed wire. Okay. So my dad is running, and he is. It's the early '90s. You, you, your shorts were actually shorts; they weren't. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, breeches. Um, oh, and dear. he's running. I can see where this is going. And so could we. That was the thing. And and you see him come tearing out from behind the shed, and that chicken is just running as fast as anything with two legs. And dad is gaining on the little bastard, and he's gonna get the fucker, and he's gonna wring its neck, and all this, right? And he's just tearing after it, and the chicken. 
being a chicken, runs straight through and, and just jumps between the, the barbed wire. Dad doesn't see it. Oh, I'm watching this happen in slow motion no. and thinking... God. He's got to see that. He's going to slow it. He's not slowing down. Oh, we can't. Oh, no. And he goes full on into it and then hangs oh. on it. And it goes, I mean, waist to ankles is where oh. he gets hit with it. Shreds his uh, oh. shreds his, uh, his, his shorts quite a bit. He's bleeding everywhere. And you just see him go ass over tea kettle and oh. just stop there. Um, oh. Yeah, it was. Oh. Now, he only, as far as I know, he only has one scar on his ankle from that. And that's it. Because that would be yeah, the okay, point at yeah, which yeah, it the, tore the, the most. Tore you know? the, yeah. Um, but yeah, he and oh, I, <laughs> he had dove under the house to get this chicken, and you hear his <sighs> head go thunk uh, as he's diving under, and and the chicken keeps running under the house, and he crawls out from under the house, and that's what it was. He chased it around the back of the house, around the garden, up by the sheds. So down he, by he got the, he got target lock. Yeah, is what, what we're talking about. He Boy, got howdy. hardcore target, target lock. Yeah, okay, yeah. Goes down over by the uh, the dog kennels and oh, is just beelining for yeah, and and just and hung just up. oh so, my god. Yeah, so wow. and we saw guys jump across the ring to kick a chair into the barbed into wire, the into barbed wire face. into a guy's face. Yeah, oh, so so oh. of course Vince McMahon hears about all this and he smells oh. money. Yeah, because as we mentioned mm-hmm. in the last episode, he has the shark-like ability to smell a dollar falling from a thousand miles away, yeah, or blood, and, and or yeah. well, blood in wrestling, blood money. Yeah, it's one and the same. Well, okay. they actually say red makes green. Yeah, okay. that's the saying. Well, there you go. So, but again, you do it sparingly, right? Yeah, you ECW use it at the appropriate time. So, by May of 1994, which is Slamboree for WCW, okay, okay. I believe it's uh, Baltimore. But hey, uh, geek history, uh, geek geek timers, uh, let us know. Um, the two promotions, WCW and ECW, agree to a talent exchange. The fans came too. Now, sometimes you do have talent exchanges. It didn't really look like a talent exchange because Terry Funk had previously wrestled in WCW, but he okay. was in ECW and he was in a legends match with Tully Blanchard, one of my favorite guys. Okay. Um, but the crowd let everyone know that ECW was there and this is the first pay-per-view where it was picked up on camera that ECW fans were there because they started the following chance. We're not hostile. We're not, not hostile. <laughs> or <laughs> EC dub. EC dub. That was another one. Okay. Or we want blood. We, we want, want blood. blood. Wait. Yeah. You just said a minute ago you're not hostile. I know. <laughs> like, wait. It's, yeah. Philly. Actually, this might have been in Philly, although it okay. could have been as far south as, as Baltimore. Okay. Um, but the fans were not just passive observers playing their dutiful part of cheering and booing. They were changing the way that the viewing was happening. Okay. So by 1995, Vince McMahon had seen that business was way down, way down. And he'd also noticed that ECW fans in the Philly area had started invading WCW and WWF events. So at King of the Ring in 1995, which was the worst ever King of the Ring tournament, fans began chanting ECW, ECW, ECW during a match. And other chants started picking up as well, similar to what had happened at Slamboree the year prior. At Survivor Series, Bret Hart and Diesel had a match that went to no disqualification. It was a no disqualification match. Now you're taking away one of the things, which right, by right, right. by doing that, you are saying we're going to get violent. Okay. Well, yeah. 
this clearly the chaos is seeping into WWF again. Bret Hart is a traditional wrestler, but even he is starting to have these kinds of matches. Okay, this match for the first time that I can find is where a wrestler goes through the announcers' table at ringside in a major promotion. Okay, it is significant. It is match-altering action that was happening outside of the ring. Yes. Okay, in WWF. The symbolism isn't lost here either. Bret Hart is the baby face of the company. He's a wrestling traditionalist, and he's being destroyed in a new way outside of the ring by a man who's beginning to directly interact with the fans, not just I'm performing in front of you, but directly interact with them by flipping them off. Diesel. Okay. Okay, who would later leave for WCW in late spring of 96 and wrestle under his real name, Kevin Nash. Ah, okay. But before he leaves, we have to talk about WrestleMania 12 and what happened thereafter. So there was a match at WrestleMania 12 where Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart had a one-hour wrestling match. Jesus Christ. And I am a huge Bret Hart fan, and I get the story that they were telling, and it was dull. I will be honest, it was it was a dull match. I get the story, but good Lord, there have been better matches that have come since then that mm-hmm. were one hour long. It's specifically, it's called an Iron Man match. Okay. Uh, I, I Frankly, I think the, the Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar Iron Man match from SmackDown in, in 2004 was yeah. probably the best. Okay. Um, but, because uh, it told a much better story. But, okay, you have this one hour match. So you only have six matches on the card. One of the matches is a match between Goldust and Rowdy Roddy Piper that was called the Hollywood Black Backlot Brawl. Okay. Now, to understand Goldust, you have to go back to, uh, well, I mean, he is the perfect mid-1990s character, but you have to go back a little bit to realize he's actually the son of Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. And if ever there was a traditional wrestling hero, Dusty Rhodes was that hero. And his son, Dustin, seemed to be ready to follow in his father's footsteps. However... Dustin came to the WWF and came in as Gold Dust, an androgynous character that was as bizarre as he was skilled. He wrestled in a golden full-body outfit with gold paint all over his face and his hair. His entrance was singularly spectacular, and he pushed the homophobia button really hard, especially in the mid-90s. He was taking on Roddy Piper partly because... He'd started doing a program with Scott Hall, who at that time was Razor the Razor Ramon, who also right. wore a lot of gold, was all about machismo. Well, uh, Goldust okay. really liked him and how machismo he was and pushing that button. And they wrestled. And at one point, there's a, it's called a, a, a go-behind, where you're, you're wrestling and a guy grabs you from around the waist, right? And then you, you, you switch it and you go behind him. Right. Right. Well, as soon as Goldust did that, then he starts feeling up Razor Ramon <laughs> and pushing it hard. Well, the thing is, Razor Ramon is Scott Hall and Scott Hall didn't like being in that program, um, even though he and Dustin Rhodes would have made incredible amounts of money. He also was on his way out to uh, WCW because yeah. he was being offered new money or good money uh, for uh, half the dates. Yeah. So, uh, because of that story, Goldust ends up having to wrestle Rowdy Roddy Piper, okay? Uh, and so, they, they, they kind of bring in Roddy Piper as, like, the commissioner of wrestling uh, for WWF. And uh, Goldust switches his focus from Scott Hall to Roddy Piper. And Roddy Piper is a man's man. 
Um, what's interesting because Roddy Piper had in the 80s been an iconoclast. And now he came to uh, the ring wearing a shirt that said Icon on it. Yeah. Um, so now he represents wrestling tradition. Yeah. Even though he's Roddy fucking Piper, the chaos the, magnate. Yeah. But in the 90s, he represents tradition. And so you're seeing this inversion. Yeah. yeah. The match took place largely away from the ring. And it involved an attempted vehicular homicide. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> it was a Hollywood backlot brawl. Okay. All right. Um, And it also involved a, high, involved a high-speed, low-speed chase. Okay. And the footage from that chase, Roddy Piper yeah. had pulled up in a white Ford Bronco. Oh, my God. Okay. So they used borrowed clips from the OJ low-speed chase from a couple years earlier. And eventually the action gets to the ring involving Piper kissing gold dust and then stripping him down to his lingerie. Okay, back up. <laughs> you heard, no, you heard me right. Hold on. And I literally have that Garter written. Garter belt. Yeah, you heard me right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you knew. Yeah. Like, okay, when you uh-huh. say lingerie. Yeah, I mean, like, go to the big, big, because Goldust is like 6'6". Six, six, yeah. 280 pounds. Okay, yeah. Okay, go to the biggest part of Fredericks of Hollywood. Okay. And then put that on Goldust. Okay. And then zip up the uh, the gold the, suit. The gold suit over that. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. They really they really committed to that. They did. Wow. Because Piper was, quote, going to make a man out of him. <laughs> so, yeah. And this is at the same event that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels have their famous Ironman match. 60 minutes. Most wow. falls wins. Okay. And it was billed as the traditionalist Bret Hart against this new and exciting young talent, Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels won. The new is replacing the, the old. old. Right? Okay, yeah. Also in 96, in 96, Vince McMahon begins running these skits called the Billionaire Ted Skits. And he sets himself... Oh, oh God. It's garbage. <laughs> And he sets himself and out. And it's so clearly... Vince McMahon. Like, yeah. like you know, I, my pee-pee is bigger than yours. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he sets okay. himself out as the poor, lonely, independent promoter who's had to contend with a rich, bumbling money mark. A money mark is a term in wrestling for the guy who's got the money who will pay you for, for garbage wrestling. Uh, money mark who was initially trying to improve his WCW product compared with the perceived superiority of WWF programming by buying up all the big name old talent that had defected to WCW. And now he's naming these characters. There's the huckster, the nacho man, scheme gene. And he references. Oh, oh wait, yeah. wait, yeah, wait, yeah. wait. He went after me and Gene Okerlund. Mm hmm. You do not go at like I'm not even <laughs> a hardcore fan. You do right. not go after me and he Gene. Did. He did. Holy wow, the man yeah. all the audacity. Yeah. And Holy in cow. these skits, here's where it gets really funny. This is nineteen ninety six. He had just defeated the uh the steroid case in ninety four. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and, and they invented the term scrutiny. of of uh sports entertainment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he'd actually done that earlier to yeah, get okay. around the, 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 the licensing, licensing commission. Yeah. yeah. But he references in-house drug testing at WCW as opposed to the independent company that the WWF uses, which is true. 
And if you have it in-house, you can certainly hide the results, cook the results, lose the results. Oh, if you yeah, have an independent yeah. company, you've got more. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that the guy who had literally been on trial for handing out steroids to wrestlers... Uh, is using that as a yeah. point of... Yeah. Well, uh, it's Vince McMahon. Yeah. Like... Another sketch had billionaire Ted wanting to buy some WWF new generation wrestlers, to which a WWF voiceover says, it's not for sale. And in referencing to Turner buying older assets like wrestlers, yeah. also movies, and repackaging them or colorizing them. Uh, okay. Yeah. Talk about confession through accusation, though. Because what did Vince McMahon do throughout the 1980s with those same stars from other territories? The final Billionaire Ted skit involved a wrestling match between the Huckster and the Nacho Man, with Billionaire Ted being the referee. Uh, And all the characters die from heart attacks because they're so old. Get it? New generation. Wow. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this skit showed up on the free pre-show for WrestleMania 12. Okay. So tradition, chaos. Yeah. New, old. So in May of 1996 at Madison Square Garden, the most traditional traditions in wrestling happened there. Okay. That's where it's Madison Square Garden. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash wrestled their very last matches for the WWF at that time. They, along with McMahon's permission, they had his permission, did a curtain call with their best friends, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Shawn Michaels. Um. He allowed them to break kayfabe and have a moment. It was not a big deal. But in the 90s, tape trading fandom was so big that people would bring tapes, uh, cassette, you know, video recorders and record what happened. And it was caught on tape. And you can type in Madison Square Garden curtain call. And okay. you'll, you'll find the tape of this. And it went viral in the way that tape trading went viral. Uh, and what's notable is that McMahon was fine with it until he lost control of the narrative due to the tape trading community. So due to this like kind yeah, of yeah. populist yeah, yeah. grassroots thing. The audience was driving the product entirely here as a result. Uh, so... McMahon punishes Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He can't punish uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. They left. Yeah. He can't punish Scott, Shawn Michaels. That's your champion. He can pun- punish Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Because Hunter Hearst Helmsley was the only one who wasn't a world champion who was still at WWF. He changed the storylines around Hunter Hearst Helmsley and had him involved in a bunch of pig slop matches. Okay. Since he's a blue blood, he's going against a hillbilly named Phineas I. Godwin. Um, and okay. his brother, Phineas Henry I. O. Godwin. Godwin. Got pig it. and okay. hog. Uh, and uh, he gets him in these, these pig slot matches where he ends up getting thrown into a pig pen that they have next to the ring and all kinds of wacky shit. Okay. Also, Hunter Hearst Elmsley was supposed to win the King of the Ring that year, and he doesn't. The, the whole thing gets rebooked. Instead of Hunter winning it, it goes to this new upstart nasty heel. Named Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ah. There'll be more on him in a bit. Well, yeah. Now, in September of 1996, so that's May of 96, you get the curtain call. Yeah. Okay. September 96. You know what else is happening in 96 is it's an election year. Yes. So in September of 96, in At Your House Mind... I'm sorry. It's called In Your House Mind Games. 
This is before you had a set, there are 12 pay-per-views, and this is what they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were still fussing with this. So this one was called In Your House Mind Games, and it's a really good, good match between Shawn Michaels and Cactus Jack. It's really good. But there was also a Caribbean strap match. Okay. Between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Savio Vega. Okay. What what exactly does that mean? It's a strap match. But because Savio Vega is from Puerto Rico, it's a Caribbean strap match. Okay. So basically, you have to incapacitate your <clears throat> opponent enough that you can run and touch all four corners of the ring. All the action is contained in the ring. Uh, okay. It might spill over, but you're attached by a 15-foot strap. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And all a 15-foot right. strap it. is not long enough for the hypotenuse. And it's not long enough for the length. Okay. So you got to drag the guy. But you could also hang him by it, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even okay. then, the action is still adjacent to the ring or on yeah. the ring, you know. But two of the most uh, famous ECW wrestlers ever were ringside and on camera and got involved in the match. That is Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. Sandman was the one you saw getting kicked in the face. Okay. Then they get thrown out. Okay. This had the feel of something spontaneous. McMahon uh, worked the whole thing. Well, okay, yeah. Okay. He even acknowledged ECW's status as a, quote, local up-and-coming promotion on the air. Oh, wow. Okay. It's weird. It's weird that he's doing that, but he he's doing that. The following night on Raw, Raw at this time was pretty new still, uh, Monday Night Raw, at the beginning of the match between the Body Donnas and the British Bulldog and Owen Hart, Taz... Uh, uh, he's a guy that you saw um, suplexing uh, Bam Bam Bigelow into a hole. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Taz. And Bill Alfonso, the guy that you saw maybe with a whistle in his mouth blowing a whistle. Oh, yeah, okay, got slammed, yeah, yeah. They were able to, quote, successfully jump the security rails. And Taz was able to prominently display, display a bright orange sign with black letters that read, Sabu fears Taz, ECW. So it's looking okay. gorilla. It's looking like a it's, gorilla promotion. Yeah, and and it's furthering a storyline in EC. It's a crossover. Yes, but it's it seems so chaotic. Yeah, okay. They yeah. jumped the guardrail. Yeah. They invaded yeah, yeah. the now okay. fans at this time who were ECW fans are like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know, because yeah. look what well, we're because, doing. Because because WWF was the big time. Right. Okay. Now, I believe both of these incidents were in Philly. I could be wrong. It, it could be uh, adjacent. But fans continued this type of thing um, anytime WCW or WWF came to the uh, came to Philly. They would send ECW fans would show up and make their chance. And as AC is ECW got more media reach, the fans started coming out beyond Philly. You start to see ECW fans mm, elsewhere, okay. and they would start chants like "boring." <laughs> Okay. Or you fucked up. You, you fucked, fucked up. up. Or holy shit. Holy shit. Okay. Whenever they, as fans, saw something worthy of a chant, it wasn't just passive consumption. They were leading the wrestlers now instead of the wrestlers leading them. Okay. And the new generation stuff in WWF was not working. The dalliance with chaos would grow and grow until it altered wrestling forever. Remember what I said about tactical and strategic? Remember yes. what I said about power? Yeah. ECW had no fucking power, and they changed the juggernaut of the wrestling business. Yeah. What's especially interesting here is that a couple months before the 1996 election, and this time it was clear that Clinton was going to win, 
that the boomer president was going to defeat the war veteran candidate and that traditionalists were being made to take a back seat again. However, they weren't going quietly in the legislature. They continued to show uh, sharp partisanship, uh, refusing to work with Democrats, affecting a government shutdown Mm -hmm. in December of 95. And many rightly think that... big one. Yeah, this is a huge deal. And many rightly think that this same shutdown is what helped seal Clinton's victory in 96. Oh, yeah. So petulance was the new governance. (laughs) Intransigence was the new crossing the aisle. ECW invading WCW and WF, a government shutdown, comic books combining, NAFTA and the Zapatista declaration of war on the Mexican government... Huge paradigmatic shifts in the zeitgeist toward youth culture, the allure of nostalgia turning into chaotic versions of itself, the tremendous racial tensions, all of these things highlight this growing instability found in America culturally, economically, and politically. And it's showing very clearly in wrestling, even if it's not explicitly stated. All of this has an actual impact on the wrestling itself. When Cactus Jack came over to the WWF, because he did, and when he left w, or when he left ECW, it was hilarious because he did this whole thing about how um, he hated the fans of ECW. Now he had been a fan favorite, and then he decided to go bad guy, and then in order to abscond, you know, to leave. Okay, you always yeah. want to leave when you're at, at your peak, and yeah. if you can turn heel and make them hate you at, at your peak, you can do that because then you can go back eventually, maybe. Okay. But he he cut a promo on on how the ECW fans went too far and they wanted too much, and he refuses to uh, accede to their wishes anymore, and and he's going to wrestle the worst matches you've ever seen, and it's his and and to the point where a referee comes out and says, well, it's his constitutional right to wrestle a bad match. Uh, <laughs> it pisses off all the Philly fans. Um, and he starts begging Uncle Eric for his job back because he'd gotten fired from WCW. And so Uncle Eric is Eric Bischoff. So he's begging Uncle yeah. Eric. And, and that was the boogeyman for them. Uh, and then he ta- started talking about how he's going to go on to WWF and do great things. And, and he's so glad to be getting out of this shitty promotion and all this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. So then he gets to WWF and he becomes Mankind. Yeah. Right? Uh, so not Cactus Jack, but Mankind, and now he's wearing a mask. He's a very different character, and they don't even acknowledge him as Cactus Jack in any way because okay. WWF was famous for not acknowledging prior. Like when Harley Race came to the WWF in the 80s, okay. they didn't acknowledge that he was a seven-time world champion. They just made him King Harley Race, and it was like a ridiculous buffoonish kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, it, okay. was, it was nuts. So, uh, but when he comes over, he becomes Mankind, and Mankind starts a feud with The Undertaker, and one of the first matches he actually has is called the Boiler Room Brawl in August of 96. Okay. All of the action occurred outside of the ring for that match. So Mankind is coming in with chaos in August of 96. Uh, at the end of it, you have to go, you have to get to the ring and Paul Bearer is standing there in the middle of the ring with the Undertaker's urn. Right. Which is the source of his power. Um, and at the end of it, they, they get through it. Undertaker makes his way out to the ring, battered and bloodied and all this from mankind who, who just, you know, they, they had one hell of a brawl in the boiler room. Um, Paul Bearer turns on Undertaker. So you have a subversion of tradition again not what you expected now turns happen but the next month at the mind games pay-per-view i mentioned earlier uh mick foley is now blazing trails as hard as he can 
uh, as far as the out of the ring action goes. Okay. Um, the match itself between him and Shawn Michaels uh, goes all over the place in the arena, uh, or at ringside rather, um, brings in stuff, and instead of a clean finish, it ends with a disqualification and several run-ins, which is kind of rare for WWF at that time. Okay. But it's really common in ECW. So ECW uh, made tactical choices that okay. are changing the strategy. Now, at this point, it's pretty clear that WWF is trying to co-opt some of ECW's approach. And again, the chaos and disregard for the rules is becoming beginning to deepen its roots in the WWF. There are more vignettes outside of the ring that are getting shot in lieu of telling stories with, um, what do we call those, wrestling matches. Yeah. More backstage interactions are happening and getting filmed to show the home audience and more and more violence outside of the ring. You'll be in the middle of a promo and then the bad guy attacks you or what have yeah, you, okay. right? It's not like, let's get it in the ring and, you know, you have the social contract. No. Yeah. And now you get to the Stone Cold Steve Austin era. Right. Now, as I'd said above, Austin was a nasty heel who'd been rising through the ranks. In the fall of 1996, he'd picked a fight with the returning Bret Hart. So Bret Hart lost at WrestleMania and took six months off. Okay. Okay. To heal up, but also to shoot Lonesome Dove. Okay. So, uh, but uh, Bret Hart returns and he's a traditionalist, right? Um, during an interview with uh, Steve Austin's best friend, uh, Kayfabe, this was brought up as well, which is interesting, okay. with Brian Pillman. Uh, and I'll get into Brian Pillman quite a bit in a bit. Uh, Austin attacked and brutalized Brian, stomping his ankle in a steel chair, kayfabe breaking it. Uh, this then leads to the, the infamous gun incident in November of 96. Mm. I'll get there. Okay. Uh, which heard the words bitch and fuck on the USA Network. And now entire segments weren't wrestling. It was Brian Pillman in his house and Steve Austin doing a home invasion. Um, and it involved increasingly violent aspects. And in fact, Vince McMahon had to apologize for that whole storyline on really say, yeah, which frankly, I think added to its cachet and the stakes for wrestling in WWF got more outlandish too. Brian Pillman had gone into a feud with Goldust. If he won Marlena Goldust's wife, uh, which was now known to the audience would have to spend a night with Brian Pillman, whom she had, had in real life had dated previously. If he lost, he'd have to wear an evening gown. Okay, that's not... He won. Okay, okay. And the videos that he made afterward were from his hotel room and were very sexually provocative of him with Marlena, leaving a suggestive way in the dust. Okay. And in the ring, the violence was stepping up too. There's more liberal use of uh, chairs in the WWF. Stone Cold Steve Austin, the very nasty heel, would actually turn face at WrestleMania 13 in March of 97. As yes. Bret Hart, the traditionalist, would turn heel. It's a famed, famous, famous match. It's one of the top five best matches of, of uh, WrestleMania history. Um, it's a really good match, and uh, it's it's what what's called a double turn. Normally, one character or another will turn. This time, they both turned. So Bret Hart had been a fan favorite since 1989. Yeah. And he turns bad guy. Okay. Uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin had been a heel the whole time he'd been in uh, WWF, and he turns good guy. Now, to do this, it's really quite something. And like I said, it's one of the best matches ever. The action goes all over the place. It's supposed to be a submission match. Okay. Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't know fuck all about submissions. 
<laughs> so he's just going to beat Bret Hart until he gives up. That's his yeah. goal, right? Bret Hart is all about submissions. But could Stone Cold Steve Austin, tough as he is, ever let himself give up? So action goes everywhere. A lot of fighting through the crowd. Uh, a lot of chairs, guardrails, electrical cables, soda. Uh, <laughs> and it ends in a puddle of Austin's blood. So Hart has him in a submission match and Austin has been bladed. Okay. Yeah. It, it looks like he got hit, but no, he bladed. Um, uh, which Bret Hart said for this match to work, you're going to need to juice. And, uh, Austin was like, okay. I mean, if you're going to take the blame for it, cause at that time, WWF had a no blood policy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Hart's like, I, I gotcha. Um, and, uh, and he slices him perfectly. So he's got, Sean, uh, uh, Brett, Brett has Austin in the middle of the ring. Middle of the ring, brought the action back to yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Middle of the ring, he's got his sharpshooter move on him, the 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 famous submission move that broke everybody, right? Uh, and Austin is just bleeding down his face, and his his blood is pooling, and it, he, he he tries to fight out valiantly, and he can't, and he tries again, and he can't, and he finally just collapses from the pain and faints. He never gave up, and he's in a pool of his own blood. Wow. After the match was over, Hart continued his assault on Austin. Now, Austin is firmly a Logan-like character. Yes. The traditionalist is now a bad guy who whined about getting screwed over all the time. He was petulant. He's a traditionalist who's become petulant. Uh, Okay. All right. The really interesting thing is he's actually a good guy everywhere except for the United States. Really? Yeah. And then that starts this whole Canada-US rivalry. Now, a lot of these changes in WWF were driven by the success of the cool heel faction running roughshod over everybody in WCW. The end. NWO, yeah, okay. I spoke at length uh, I spoke at length about them last time, but for review, they rarely had matches that ended like traditional matches. Yeah. They were more active out of the ring than in it. They were much more about promos. And the entire second hour of WCW was given over to such things. And I cannot overemphasize that both promotions had cool heels as their main focus. And all of this goes back to ECW's iconoclasm. And all of that goes back to the dominant culture's fear of being pushed aside by youth culture and reacting with huge effort to try to control what was happening and more and more to the point they ceased to be what they claimed okay the republicans were the party of tradition and yet they are breaking the system as hard as they can yeah to hold power yeah but in wcw their first hour was actually bringing in new stuff while wwf was focusing on canada bret hart uh, was, you know, he, he basically was a Canadian, he is a Canadian hero and he had a whole Canadian stable called the Hart Foundation. We'll get into it more. Um, but, uh, so they were feuding with, uh, various stars from the USA. Uh, and so okay. he got this cross border thing. WCW focused on Mexico by highlighting a lot of Lucha Libre. Okay. So you have two United States promotions focusing on Canada and Mexico in the mid-1990s. NAFTA. Yes. Okay. Eventually, this was also fed to the NWO machine, quite honestly. 
But they were bringing a new and different style of wrestling to the traditional southern territory mm-hmm. uh, with a lot more spectacle. And still, uh, the NWO took over everything. There was a match in July of 96, right after the NWO got started, where Kevin Nash threw Rey Mysterio in the back lot of the venue. Uh, and they just launched him into the side of a trailer. And the actual police were called to the scene by concerned fans. Holy cow. Okay, that's how real the NWO angle seemed to people in the South and and WCW fans. I think this was in Florida, actually. And that's how much the Lucha Libre wrestlers were regarded by WCW at the time. You are literally the object through which we will prove our badassery. Wow. Also, also in WCW, when Hulk Hogan turned heel in July of 96. Yeah, boy, I remember mm -hmm. that. Fans threw tons of trash into the ring. To show their displeasure. Again, you're breaking yeah. down the wall. You're doing the Rocky Horror Violating thing. Violating the fourth wall. Yes. Yeah. And it's also an echo of what had already happened in ECW with the chairs. Yes. And it only increased as the NWO gained in popularity. Hogan also started spray painting NWO on things, especially on the big gold belt. Once he won it at Hog Wild in 96 up at Sturgis... Uh, he rechristened it the NWO Championship. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Combine in Living Colors intro with Shane Douglas's rejection of the NWA belt. Spray paint. Yeah, okay. And the big gold belt had been the NWA belt prior to 1991. Really? Yes. Okay. And then Jim Hurd came in and took over and it was just a wild story. Anyway. So you're seeing all this churning. And in January of 1997, NWO took over WCW's broadcast. Took over in finger quotes. Yeah, well, yeah. And the story ceased to be about the wrestling in the ring at all. It was about the chaos being fomented at the announcer's desk, at the very core of where we hear the lyrics to the music that they're playing in the ring, as it were. So if you think about the, the match being the music, the announcers are providing the lyrics. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, so the chaos now is focused where the media touches the people, not where the not where is the focused. event is happening, right. but where the event is being interpreted for the audience. Can we say postmodernism? Much? How meta can you get? Right. Okay. Now this happens, and Hogan spits on the WCW logo. Big deal. Okay. Yeah. Now, in January, this is January of 97, Hulk Hogan, the former hero, who is now called Hollywood Hogan, West Coast, right? Spitting on tradition. Yes. In January of 97, Clinton has been reelected and the traditionalists have been defeated. This is absolutely pulling on those sentiments, reenacting in a carnival wrestling kind of way what was happening to the country in those people's minds. And those people, demographically, love WCW. The spray paint, the random attacks outside of the ring, all of it was a fear that the dominant culture would have about the youth and the non-white culture. And as anti-heroes were in, villains became cool villains. So everybody's rushing to the middle, morally. Shawn Michaels, who had long been an arrogant, semi-chicken-shit heel, quite honestly, uh, until his match with Mick Foley, then he showed that he had a brutal side, too. Um, He now was in charge of his own faction, 
which grew little by little until it became a host unto itself. You may have heard of Degeneration X. Yeah. In mid-1997, Degeneration X wasn't much. It had been a bit of a throwaway line by Bret Hart during their heated rivalry. He called them degenerates. Okay. So here is the script of what happened. Bret, why don't you two degenerates come down here right now and step in the ring with me right now? Traditionalists, come down to the ring. They're not in the ring, come down, right? Either one of you, I don't care. Either one of you right now. He's talking specifically to Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Okay. Shawn, he says, and you talk about us being degenerates. You know what? I'm tired of Generation X getting a bad rap. And then Hunter says, okay, and so they're they're up on the ramp, I believe. And Hunter says, you think you're a degenerate? Sean, well, do you think you're a degenerate? Hunter, well, I mean, Sean, I'm positive I'm one. Hunter, I guess I'd have to be one too then. Sean, well, you know what? Generation X always gets a bad rap. Everybody always calls us degeneration or ge- degenerates. Degeneration X, is that us? Degeneration X, Triple H. HBK, that's uh, Shawn Michaels was known as the Heartbreak Kid. Okay. Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. China and Ravishing Rick. Okay. Which is interesting because Rick Rude uh, wasn't allowed to wrestle because uh, he'd broken his neck in WCW like the previous year. Oh, okay. But he still had enough cachet. And he actually, he only signed nightly contracts. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's per appearance. <laughs> um, but, you know, he says, we are Degeneration X. You make the rules and we will break them. Boy, you can't get much more explicit than that, can you? Yeah, well, and then they did. They got much more explicit. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so a stable was born. You have Degeneration X. They were sophomoric in their pranks. They were crude in their humor. To the point where USA Network told WWF, hey guys, tone it down. Really? Yep. Uh, there was one where he had a State of the Union address. And basically he says, okay, we've been given a list of words not to say. And then he says them all. <laughs> And, of course, they get beeped. Yeah. Uh, Their bodyguard was a woman uh, who was a bodybuilder. And shortly thereafter, she got implants. Her name was China. Oh, okay. They would refuse. Like, they'd be put into matches with wrestlers. And they'd say, no, I'm not going to wrestle him. (laughs) Like, there goes the social contract. Yeah. Uh, And they would have matches where they'd make a mockery of wrestling itself. At one point, they were made to wrestle each other. And they spent the first five minutes of the match. It's so good. They didn't touch each other. They just kept pretending to do like the little things that wrestlers would do before they locked up. You know, like pull yeah. on the ropes to kind of stretch a little bit and they jump and then they and then they'd move around again. <laughs> just for like five minutes is great. Uh, and then like one guy laid down for the other and they called it. Uh, their leader, Shawn Michaels, was gunning for the championship that Bret Hart held. Actually, Bret Hart didn't hold it at that point. Well, let's see. What, what month was that that they did that? Uh mid 97 so yeah bret hart has the belt by SummerSlam. so he has the the, the belt in august of 97 uh prior to that it was undertakers so oh, Shawn yeah. michaels is gunning for the belt uh and they were rebels they were clearly villains but the audience loved them and Shawn michaels was a villain sure but bret hart had turned villain yeah so the line is blurring entirely and moral ambiguity is the rule yes, of the day yes and it's 1997 and Shawn michaels is a bad guy 
and Bret Hart is a good guy whenever they go to Canada. And Bret Hart is a bad guy when they go to the United States. And Shawn Michaels is still a bad guy, but at least he's our bad guy. (laughs) The line is so blurred. And they're feuding with a man who was a heel in the U.S., but a face in the rest of the world. Meanwhile, Bret Hart, seeing all this, and by the way, he'd gotten injured. He'd he'd had a knee injury. Um, He reforms the Hart Foundation. And he expands it. So the original Heart Foundation was him and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And it started uh, about 1986. Okay. And it lasted to 89. And then he turns good guy. And then he kind of hangs out with Jim Neidhart through 91. And then breaks away on his own. And he'd been feuding with his brother, his own brother, since 1994. Maybe 93. Okay. Um, But he reforms the Heart Foundation. He expands it. He brings Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart, Davey Boy Smith... And Brian Pillman in. Okay. Now, the first three I mentioned, Jim Neidhart, Bret Hart's brother-in-law. Owen Hart, Bret Hart's brother. Davey Boy Smith, Bret Hart's brother-in-law. He had a lot of siblings. Brian Pillman trained at Stu Hart's dungeon for a long time, and he was considered a pseudo-sibling. And these were all old-school traditionalists who were fantastic workers. Uh, I'm going to have a bit of an epilogue on Brian Pillman, by the way, because nobody embodied the change in chaos of the 1990s, like Brian Pillman. He he really embodied it, except maybe Terry Funk. But Funk was at the end of his career and looking for ways to extend it, whereas Pillman embraced it in ways that were emblematic. But more on him. Okay. So the fight between the Hart Foundation and D-Generation X was clearly a struggle between order and chaos. But the forces of order were the bad guys in the U.S., and the forces of chaos were the bad guys too, but they were more beloved because they had dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> The summer and fall of 97 was a really fun time to be a wrestling fan. And by the way, I'd moved out and was living on my own with George, producer George, in uh, June of 97. Okay. Uh, and so, and he had a uh, a cable descrambler. So I oh, got nice. to see all of this shit. <laughs> uh, it was my Monday nights, man. We'd come home from work and I would be watching. Uh, but it was also a confusing time to be a wrestler because if you like good guys and bad guys, you're fucked. Um, if, if you didn't care about good guys and bad guys, you could pick your temperament and enjoy that struggle. Uh, but basically you don't have more morality plays anymore. You have a group that used the rules to its advantage to win. Not a very baby face tactic, quite honestly, but technically it's very solid. That's the heart foundation. And you had a group that did whatever it wanted and also not particularly baby face, uh, but fun to watch. And they're they're Degeneration X. So you have order versus chaos, and neither one is a good guy. Okay. So SummerSlam of '97 is is probably my favorite, one of my favorite matches. Okay. Uh, it was a fantastic and chaotic main event. Okay. Shawn Michaels was the guest referee. He inserted himself as the referee in a match between Bret Hart and the Undertaker. Undertaker was the champion. Bret Hart wanted the championship back. Sean had promised that he was going to call the match down the middle, even though he hated Brett. And by the way, all of their hatred toward each other was real life. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But uh, they had done what's called working yourself into a shoot. Uh, So Sean Michaels is a guest referee. Bret Hart uh, goes to use a chair and Sean stops him. And, And Brett yells, fuck you, and hawks a loogie at Sean. Now that's called cheap heat. Uh, but, uh, Brett spits on Sean. Now, Sean had promised again, if I don't call it down the middle, 
I will never wrestle in the United States again. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, and and (laughs) Brett actually describes it as, uh, I brought up two giant oysters from my gullet. (laughs) Because he'd been wrestling for 20 minutes. So he's very, yeah. Okay. And he didn't mean, you know, he claims he did not mean to spit at Sean's face. Because that was, you know, the agreement. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll spit on you. He's like, just don't hit me in the face, you know. Um, and they'd already had so much animosity between each other. And he hits him right in the face. Which is two giant oysters. <laughs> so yeah. Sean, he's, he's grabbed the chair away from Brett. He's got the chair in his hand. Loses it and goes and hits Brett in the head. But Brett ducks at the last second right as the Undertaker, who'd been on the ground and Brett was going to hit... Right as the Undertaker gets up and Sean waffles him right in the head. Brett covers him and forces Sean to call it. Chicken shit heel move. Yeah. It's in the United States. Brett is now the champion. Tradition has won, but not with tradition. No. Could this have been a harbinger of how a traditionalist party takes power? Could it be an echo of what Gingrich had managed in 94? Could be. And that's where I'm going to stop tonight because the very next episode is going to deal with the Montreal screw job. Okay. So. That's a lot. Holy shit. So what have you gleaned so far? We didn't um, glean anything last time because I left you horrified. Because just just in, because kayak. in visceral shock. <laughs> um, which only got worse after, after I actually watched <laughs> yeah. video. But so i mean i'm curious about the the root of the not kayfabe animosity between that's going to come two, up with the okay, screw okay. yeah um, i got you and and the way in which sparkly murder gymnastics <laughs> winds up being a subconscious passion play mm-hmm. of our own gestalt uh uh subconscious kind of kind of anxieties sure is remarkable mm-hmm. and the the oracular nature of looking at like like now i want to find out like you know there's there's a there's a an index that gets used Every time there's a presidential election, uh-huh. there's there's some professor I don't remember whether he's economics or statistics or what, but his his indication is no seriously look at the S and P five hundred. Oh, interesting. If the S and P five hundred is up, the incumbent the incumbent's going to win. If the S and P and five hundred is down, we're gonna we're gonna see a flip. Interesting. And and so I remember back in November of last year, uh-huh. every afternoon I was listening to the financial <laughs> uh financial broadcast going like, you know, uh-huh. okay, and the S and P. Tell me about the S and P. Like, I want to find out is there anything similar in wrestling? Like, can we point to uh-huh. all right, so in ninety mm-hmm. two when Clinton won, mm-hmm. you know, was was there a, a specific through line trend in storylines across promotions that we can look at okay. and be like, okay, so if we see a lot of 
you know, uh, turnover in the belt. Right. In the month before the election, we're going to see. Oh. You know, we're, we're going we're we're to see the incumbent is going to lose. Right. Like, you know, whereas, no, no, no. If the champions hold on to it across uh-huh. promotions, uh-huh. then, you know, the incumbent's going to win. Or or some sure. weird, because it's, because it's Sparkle Murder Gymnastics, it could be some other weird, like if there are more chair matches. Right. In October, oh, wow. like... I want somebody to do the statistics on that. Yeah, that would be fun. You know, I I don't know how much it has to do with presidential elections as a harbinger. I do think that it has a lot to do. Again, I, I think like I'm laying out pretty well. I think it is a reflection of not a not a. It's not an oracle, but right? A, but of, a but a reflection. Yeah. Okay. Now now it's not an of its immediate time. Yeah. Yeah. Now I would say it's oracular for a generation later. Okay. I absolutely do think once because and and what we're doing is we're heading toward the attitude era because we're not in the attitude era yet. Jesus. Technically, this is just before this is this is on the precipice of the attitude era. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of like um, you know, the the Civil War didn't start on January 1st of 1860. And yeah. end in, you know, December 31st of 1865. Like, nothing's ever that neat yeah. and tidy, right? Yeah. So the Except actually, the Battle of Sekigahara happened in 1600, which, like, is okay, so yeah, neat that's the and one. tidy. Yeah. Like, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, it's 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 it, nothing's going to be that neat and tidy as far as, you know, stuff like that goes. Yeah. But I do think that once the Attitude Era happens, that changes wrestling forever. But it's also happening at a time where internet is growing. Yeah. And so you have a more immediate feedback loop. Feedback uh, amongst the media yeah. uh, surrounding wrestling and its fans. And as a result, you do start to see a lot more, I'm going to say chaos, um, but you do start to see a lot more responsiveness um, okay. from, from wrestling. Faster turnaround yes, between yes. between okay what worked what didn't what do we what direction? But honestly, we like if you look at the bad guys in wrestling, you could tell who we're uh, having national beef with. Oh well, I you mean know. forever. Yeah, in the seventies, yeah. you had the Iron Sheik. Like, yeah, you know he was yeah uh, America Hakbatui, you know, and yeah. that, and that kind of thing. And in the eighties, you I mean, for, from like the fifties forward, you had Russians. Yeah, um, you had unreconstructed Nazis. Interestingly, shortly after uh, Let's Roll speech, you know, 2004, yeah, um, you had a tag team called La Resistance. <laughs> so you do have that. You also had a uh, a bad guy who was a, an Arab American who was complaining about the racism that he was encountering as an Arab American, starting in about 2004. Um, yeah, played by an Italian. Actually, it wasn't even an Arab. Uh, but and and his uh, mouthpiece was actually speaking Farsi the whole time. Uh, so I mean, it's it's wrestling. It's not like they're you know that woke when it comes to race. <laughs> but uh, but you had I mean he was and it was so interesting because like they could have gone such a cool way with it and then they ended up not. And then the bombing happened in London. Oh yeah! Right uh, during the same day that because uh, SmackDown was always um, pre-recorded by a few days, and so SmackDown aired it, um, and there was a crawl that went across the 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 bottom saying, you know, uh, we we do not mean in any way to be disrespectful to what happened in England, and 
basically an apology as it was going on. Um, but so there's a bombing in England of the bus, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, this guy, Muhammad Hassan, was the name of the character. Um, he uh, had a bunch of guys in ski masks and fatigues attack the Undertaker, who at that time I think was doing his biker gimmick. So you know, uh-huh. badass American. Um, and he might have actually been uh, gone back to being the dead man. I can't remember what year okay. that was. Uh, but uh, Muhammad Hassan fell to his knees and he's got his arms up in supplication as all these guys carry the Undertaker's body out of the ring. It immediately killed the angle uh, because of what had happened in the world. Yeah. So you do see wrestling like no longer being a an emotional catharsis for anxieties. Okay. And actually pulling back in real time in response to some of that. Now okay. that doesn't mean that they didn't take five steps backward afterwards um, by having the character Eugene come out, who was developmentally delayed guy who, yeah. And they used the R word to describe his strength. Um, and he would, he would get really angry and his whole thing was he would imitate a bunch of other wrestlers. It sucks. Cause he was actually a really good wrestler and he was saddled with that gimmick. And I mean, it was a way of getting cheap heat, and it, it really showed Triple H to be a really bad heel and stuff like that. Okay. But, and, and there were some really cool comeuppance moments, but at the end of the day, you're using... Yeah, it's still yeah. rank ableism. And, you know, he wasn't yeah. the only character that was like that. There was also Festus, who would come around a few, few years later. That when the bell rang, he would go into a rage, and when the bell rang again, he would just go back to being slack-jawed and kind of dumb. Huh. Yeah, is Again, okay. wrestling not 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 particularly progressive on most things. Yeah. But as they got more media um, savvy and more media interactive and just kind of more both things feeding each other, they were a little bit more reactive. Um, okay. And not so much a trailing indicator of what was going on culturally. Okay. But also, I think what we're seeing here is they are at the forefront of what's happening. Yeah, And in many ways, they're responding to youth culture and helping to shape it. Because I remember seeing a bunch of kids in a airport. Um, I think I was flying down to L.A. or something like that. And there were a bunch of kids in an airport. And, you know, they were like middle schoolers. And uh, the, the boy was doing the rock's shtick of like, it doesn't matter what your name is. You know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it had become part of the popular culture. You know, you, you have the highest ratings ever. You had 10 million people watching every night. Yeah. Maybe not every night, but that was at, at its peak. Yeah, yeah. But um, you had, you know, you had this 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 permeation of wrestling into the popular culture. It was white hot in the yeah, oh, yeah. late 1990s. Um, and so I do think that it had a hand in legitimizing. Well, Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. became became a touchstone mm-hmm. in in science fiction nerddom. Really? I got to tell you about Farscape sometime, but the yes, main, the do. main character on Farscape, John Crichton, astronaut, mm-hmm. uh, winds up, he, 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 uh, uh, on a couple of occasions, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a moment of confrontation with a villain would shout out, can I get a hell? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like okay. there, there was an episode is I'd have to explain an awful lot of Farscape backstory. 
but he he's involved in an internal war in his own head okay against a neural construct of one of the big bads of the series who oh, wow. has literally okay. implanted himself in john Crichton's head okay and this has been an ongoing storyline for like an entire season and finally Crichton gets the upper hand and it's like he's lucid dreaming nice and so it's it's like okay. utterly surreal but he winds up throwing throwing the big bad into a dumpster slamming it shut and shouting can i get a hell yeah and he's wearing a black vest over, oh, wow. over a short sleeve black t-shirt and you know there was a dumpster match you know. at wrestlemania 14 that occurred yeah and, and i'm gonna get to it next probably See, next time yeah, but yeah, I mean they're absolutely pulling on. Oh on, yeah, on that, and, and and the Rock ended up in a in a Star Trek episode too in Voyager. Oh yeah, they had a wrestling thing. Yeah, where he wrestled Seven of Nine, and the Rock showed up in that '70s show as well. Yeah, so I mean, was he playing his dad? He I'm was playing his dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was it was good. All right, so what do you what do you want to tell people to read? Or um, I'm going to reiterate. Mm-hmm. Please, Doing. please do your do your homework ahead it's of time. It's not like you Doing. won't have enough time. Yeah, we're going to be clearly at least this, two more this episodes. Is, this is a three. magnum opus, yes. and so I mean, it's not going to go to Batman length. Hopefully, it won't. Uh, it okay, won't. good. Thank yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> It'll probably get to seventy percent of a Batman. Length. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, but, uh, again, and, and I just, I recommend it because again, it is, it is an important part of the science fiction canon. Sure. Um, and, and it's, it's worth reading. So I, I, yeah, that's my recommendation for reading. Uh, now if people want to find you to remind you Mm -hmm. that, I mean, you didn't, I'm sure, but if you got a date wrong in uh-huh. your timeline of sure, who sure. had the belt in a particular month of right. 97, uh, where would they find you to to berate you for that error? Well, before I get to that, I'm going to actually give a recommendation. Of oh, an right. Essay. Okay. Uh, so Roland, Roland or Roland Barthes, B-A-R-T-H-E-S. Okay. Could be Bart. I don't. I don't pronounce well. Um, he wrote an uh, in 1972. He wrote an essay called "The World of Wrestling," in okay, the, in the journal called Mythologies. If you just type in Roland Barthes, B A R T H E S, "The World of Wrestling," you'll find it. It's usually on MIT's website, um, and it's a wonderful essay on professional wrestling. Um, and it starts off with here. The virtue of all-in wrestling that it is is that it is the spectacle of excess. Okay. Here we find uh, a grand eloquence which must have been that of ancient theaters. And I do say that I think that one of the reasons that I love wrestling so much is because I think it does pull on archetypical aspects of our personalities. Okay, and, yeah. and I would like to think that as I'm, you know, and he even says later, there are people who think that wrestling is an ignoble sport. Wrestling is not a sport. It is a spectacle. It is no more ignoble to attend a wrestled performance of suffering than a performance of the sorrows of Arnolf and Andromache. Okay. Uh, which, uh, you know, just, I, I, first off, I love the legitimization by uh, a literary scholar, but also um, I really do think that it is Greek theater. At the end of the day, I, I, 
frankly think yeah. it would be very difficult to argue against that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think elitism would be the only recourse one well, would have. And in fairness, it's carniness. Like, I mean, it, it has a long history of being carny. Yeah. Which is still Greek theater just on rails. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what, what I was going to say yeah. is like, I, I don't, I don't think that's a legitimate argument against it. Yeah. I, I, I'm with I you. I mean, it is, it is thoroughly theatrical mm-hmm. in, in nature and spectacular. It is, it is yeah. a spectacle and it is designed to provide emotional catharsis. Yes. Like even though, even though, as you said a minute ago, it's no longer providing catharsis for our anxieties. Right. It is still immensely cathartic. The the storylines, the bloodletting. Yes. I mean, you know, the 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 violence The ultimate you know, blow off. I mean, yeah. you still even <clears throat> though by the mid nineties you blur all the lines, you still ultimately do have a good versus evil aspect. It's just that all the lines shifted underneath that yeah. paradigm and it took a while to catch it again. Yeah. Which is what we're going to get to. Yeah. But so if people do want to find me, you can find me at Duh Harmony on the Twitter and the Insta. Um, you can also uh, find me pretty much every Tuesday night uh, doing stuff on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Uh, also on YouTube, uh, if you type in Marvel Strike Force uh, Excelsior Gaming, you'll find my channel with Ian McDonald. Um, and yeah, I think that that should do it as far as where you can find me. Where can they find you? Not nearly as many places. Thank goodness. Um, because I'm, I'm not the dynamo of creative energy that you are. <laughs> um, and I have a toddler, uh, which is why I don't have the <laughs> dynamo of creative energy that you do, but I can be found as Mr. Blaylock, M R B L A Y L O C K on TikTok and on, uh, Instagram, uh, as, uh, at present, my TikTok is pretty minimal. Uh, but you can find me there, uh, what presence I have. And, uh, on Twitter, I can be found at EH Blaylock. And if you want to talk to both of us about something, if, if, if I have, uh, somehow made a remark that is, is, uh, uh, heretical, uh, toward toward the the canon of of wrestling in a comparison I've made, or if again Damien got a date wrong, which I'm sure he didn't, um, then you can find us collectively at Geek History of Time or Geek History Time, I should say, on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so until next time, I'm for Geek History of Time. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm Damien Harmony. And until next time, keep rolling twenties. <laughs>